grumps, moaners, whingers, people who attract bad luck, and to those who appear to be odd, but actually are perfectly normal and reasonable human beings like our beloved Victor. Welcome to One Foot the Podcast with your host, Tom. This week I'll be discussing episode 5 of series 2, titled Love and Death. Firstly, I, One Foot the Podcast, is excited to be working alongside a community of independent podcasters under the name We Made This, run by a gentleman named Tony. Uh, Tony listened into the show, full of compliments, and invited me to join in the fun. It just means that other podcasters looking to get their shows discovered in the podcasting world will you know, have a bit more support for one another. And of course, I'm not going to turn down a little bit of extra support. And of course, my uh, my quest has been to get um, more listeners, of course, but not just for the sake of an ego, but generally to get One Foot in the Grey fans who aren't aware of this show to download, as well as those who aren't really into podcasting and maybe enjoyed One Foot in the Grave and fancied listening to just another fan discussing it. So a big thanks to Tony and the guys for welcoming me. Check out wemadethispod.com because there's loads of really, really talented podcasters on there and they're just out there doing what I'm doing, getting their feet off the ground, looking for some more listeners. They're, I mean, they're, as a, they're more established than this podcast, that's for sure. So yeah, yeah, check them out. Like I said, the Twitter handle is at wemadethispod. So very good. Thanks to Tony. I'd also like to thank a gentleman who emailed in, Vincent T. And he said, just wanted to let you know that I've recently found this podcast and I'm enjoying it immensely. I reside in Australia and have always enjoyed British comedies. One Thing in the Grave has always been one of my favourite comedies alongside On the Buses, George and Mildred, Keeping Up Appearances... Men Beaving Badly, The Royal Family and Coupling, just to name a few. Really appreciate your efforts in producing this podcast, especially the audio clips from each episode that you play. Regards, Vincent. Very, very kind words. This man shares some some of my taste in comedy, especially Men Beaving Badly and Royal Family. But um, yeah, thank you very much. Sending compliments my way really does boost morale. It really G's me up to uh, keep recording these shows, I guess. It's really nice, really kind words. He's left a review over at listennotes.com. It sounds like I'm endorsing a lot of things today. It's nothing is, nothing is, there's no money involved. I just want to make that clear. It's all for the love. I never heard of listennotes.com, but his review on the app uh, reads officially, If you're a fan of British comedies, One Foot in the Grave is one of the funniest and best written of all time, which I totally agree with, by the way. The host of this podcast is very knowledgeable which is less to be desired on a few occasions, but I, I, I do my best. Uh, the audio clips played from each episode are another great feature of this podcast, as are the in-depth reviews of each episode. So, yeah, thank you very much, Vincent. I think we'll get on with the uh, episode in hand, like I said, titled Love and Death. So, as the title suggests, this episode explores a little more into Victor Margaret's relationship and takes us away from Riverbank for the... I think for the first time, certainly from our point of view. IMDb synopsis reads, uh, The Meldries are on holiday, staying with old friends Vince and April in their boarding house. A set of coincidences leave each member of the couple thinking they have been unfaithful. I mean, this is neither the first time or the last that Victor and Margaret's relationship is is explored. We saw a hint of it in in Series 1, Eternal Quadrangle. 
I still don't know if, think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Vincent was saying I was very knowledgeable of the show, and there's me struggling to pronounce uh, an episode title. There you go. But yeah, we, we will see a few more close encounters of infidelity. What we do learn about Victor overall is he has been loyal to Margaret throughout. And, and she's a very loyal wife as well. But she has, I think in one episode later in the series, does have a close encounter with a chap who they also met on holiday. Again, we'll come to that episode further down the line. Uh, Victor, what I've noticed with Victor is he does seem to pull off the, the charm now and again with the ladies. And it's happened quite a few times. And it will happen in this episode. He doesn't ever particularly try he doesn't go out of his way to be you know a, a creep or you know doesn't come on to any of women at all but they do seem to like him he must have an aura about him that some of the women find cute i don't know uh, also I, I do think this is the first time that the two are causing some friction in their relationship and obviously with plenty of misunderstanding along the way but we will get into that as the episode uh, progresses so let's get down to the opening scene oh, I'm well, for the for the second time so far this series, the Meldrews are going on a little holiday, this time staying in the country. Uh, we open up with several carriages showing us a clear indication that the Meldrews are on their way for the little little trip. The camera pans across from left to right of a... I think any of these carriages exist anymore, but it's... And I would love to know the, the official name. But it's... Uh, you're sat opposite one another, basically, in your own private pod. <clears throat> my god i mean i just can't think of the name for it but there's it's quite a packed uh private carriage maybe they do exist still but i think modern uh coaches don't really have this this setup and it's i can't tell if this this must be a set i mean it looks quite convincing and then victor and margaret sat opposite one another beside victor who straight away we're getting a, a laugh victor's doing i assume a crossword of sorts in the local rag and next to him is this old lady, she must be in her 80s, mid to late 80s, <laughs> reading a The Joy of Sex book, perfectly entitled to do, of course. And I think you'll find in 2020, I don't. I think some would still bat an eyelid at it, but I think the progressives out there would say there's nothing wrong with that, which, of course, there isn't. It's just, it's just funny to see. I think 1990 was still in that era of elements of, I don't know... Some sexism, ageism, like we've dis- like I've discussed already, old-fashioned mindset. And, it, and do you know what? I, I'm not um, getting political because I'm a bit of an old git in many ways. I still I'm still set in my ways with many things. So, but Victor's reaction to this old lady reading this Joy of Sex book is one of disgust uh, and disbelief. He doesn't really let on that he's overly disgusted. He's just being quite nosy at this point. This lady's just trying to read this book. I mean, who knows if this um, old dear knew what book she was going to be reading. It could have been one she picked out of the library or a friend of hers or, God forbid, a relative dropped off. And she's just innocently reading uh, probably quite a graphic novel. And she's just minding her own business. She, she looks an awful lot. I don't like to make this link. But she looks an awful lot like my late gran who loved One Foot in the Grave. But I know my gran wouldn't be. She liked to read. Gosh, she bought a book a week. She wouldn't be reading The Joy of Sex. I certainly like to think not. The look this old lady gives to Victor when she catches him, um, and I'll say eavesdropping, that's not the right phrase, but being nosy, basically, is comedy. She's got a, let's say, a a resting bitch face about her. Classic old haggled kind of look about this lady. And that's not me slagging her off. I'm sure she's a very sweet lady, but she plays that part really well. 
and the look she gives Victor, just the sort of look Victor would give most people, to be fair, she gives a bit back, and it's it's uh, refreshing to see. Very funny. The train stops, and half of the, uh, well, no, sorry, more than half, the majority of their, their carriage gets off, including, this, you know, including the old lady, like I said, and it's just left with Victor and Margaret. Unbelievable. Did you see what she was really at her age? Unbelievable. What about her at her age? The joy of sex, that old woman sitting next to me. I didn't know where to put my face. <laughs> Margaret sees nothing wrong with the uh, old lady reading a book on joy of sex, despite Victor's protest of it being something that's inappropriate of her age. It's not inappropriate at all, really. And Margaret is very much like, what's the fuss? And Victor made the comment, I didn't know where to, to look. Well, you, you did know where to look. You looked at nothing but what she was reading <laughs> for the for the time we saw him on screen. And on the topic of the joy of sex, Margaret points out that, you know, despite Victor's protests about reading something so inappropriate, it doesn't appear to put him off his crossword answers, which all seem to depict euphemism of sorts when she reads out a list of his his uh, answers. Words like mount, mate, moan, mound, ride, rude, crude, nude, rod, ram, nut, nice, cute, round, dome, round. I just think, what's the euphemism there? Round, rounded rest i don't know finally dormice which is not quite in um in keeping with his previous suggestible answers when i say crossword it was a brain teaser so it's not like these are the definite answers these are just words victor's come up with uh, in his subconscious so clearly this sets up the topic of the episode or the feature if you like and with those brain teaser clues he's come up with that really is in line with the feature of this episode he's having a little moan about people of today you know what they talk about he was in the, the pizza parlor or wherever it was i told you about these two waitresses i heard discussing their boyfriends in the pizza hut the other day discussing their boyfriend's dimensions oh, what dimension? what do you think what dimensions well, they weren't comparing hat sizes. <laughs> I want to listen to that when I'm filling up my salad bowl. Thank you very much. Yes, well, there's no need to get a complex about it. You are what God made you. Exactly. I mean, we don't even know... Th- what do you mean, what God made me? <laughs> Again, I'm being a bit stereotypical here, but a couple in the... I think that they're supposed to be late 50s in Series 1. Of that era, of 90... It's not... a it's not going to be unusual now, but it just seems like the way Victor Margaret's image is portrayed, they wouldn't seem like the sort, well, certainly Victor, to be going into a, a pizza hut. Just an observation there, probably an unfair one. Margaret takes a, an amusing swipe at Victor, saying, you know, there's, there's no point in getting a complex about it. You, know, you are what God made you. Victor responds with, you know, what do you mean, what God made me? She's perhaps suggesting his dimensions are left to be, well, not so desired. So it's such a huge contrast between comedies of, of this era um, and 1990s relatively modern compared to how far back sitcom British sitcoms uh, came about. The, the topic of sex is such a taboo thing and I don't know if it's a taboo thing and it's in the writing or purposely done because Victor and Margaret are, are supposedly old and past it. But when you contrast it to comedies of the last 10 15 years where sex isn't a taboo if you take i don't know say the in-betweeners as an example it's just absolutely rife full of um expletives and rudeness and it's just the anatomy in that show is talked about throughout where in one foot in the grave it's so subtle two completely different comedies i know but as i'm a fan of both i just find the contrast 
so far apart, and that's just the evolution of comedy writing, I suppose. I I do I naturally prefer One Foot in the Grave in in all in all senses, in all cases even. But when the when sex is discussed, it's it's so subtle. Um, it's almost a blink and you'll miss it. Or that analogy doesn't quite work since you, you're listening to the, what they're saying as well. Victor proceeds to read an article in, in his magazine. You know, can't quite believe what he's reading. He reads an article about a, um, a lady uh, and her husband who are over 70. And they have relations every, every, every week. And they get through this by taking painkillers, which brought uh, an audience laughter. Painkillers get you through sex. That sounds like commitment and determination. And it's got to be admired. But... To be taking painkillers to do something so natural sounds quite tragic. But ends with, you know, my husband gets confused with the idea of contraception and always leaves his cap on. I mean, this, this is a couple in their over 70s, so talk about confusion indeed. So moans that, you know, this is a £10 winning letter that made it to the uh, the final of the, this magazine publication. People still, I believe, send in this sort of nonsense in in magazines it's not all on the internet there are prizes to be won there is money to be made through sending such absurd articles it seems victor makes a remark about that saying you know, why do people want to talk about that that's all that people will ever do on on you know especially the internet social media indirectly will talk about their sex lives without even realizing it everything is not everything but most things are sexualized now through various age groups and that's both liberating but also sometimes disturbing his comments there really uh resonated how many years later 30 years later and making those comments to victor i don't know if she's implying that the way she she looks at him when she says that you know that's all they can do is talk that's all they're capable of and and looks back at him as if to say that's all you're capable of doing at least they're talking about having sex that's more than what we're doing so i'm getting the, the impression that they've reached a stage of their life probably long since reached a stage where they're perhaps not having relations and they're, they're not they're not an ancient couple although the image is is such that they if, if you look at margaret she is already an old lady in and how, how she dresses and her haircut and victor is you know, he's not, he doesn't look incredibly youthful for a 56, 57 year old, or however, however old he's supposed to be. I think we established it's 58. I mean, people in their late 50s could, could pass a 40 odd now. So I think that comes with the mindset of confidence as well. So if Victor and Margaret, one can assume that they just don't get up to that sort of thing anymore, that kind of horseplay. And perhaps that's that set us up for the this episode because. Margaret's got the hump about something and we will see her get a little bit more, well, certainly jealous of Victor's charm. He gives off it later on with various other ladies we will see shortly. Well, another half hour we'll be there. Bleak house with April and Vince. <laughs> suppose everything will run to his usual form, same as it always does whenever we're down there for a weekend. She'll laugh like a simpleton at everything I say for no apparent reason while he goes out the back and Talks to his cucumbers. <laughs> Sorry? I didn't say anything. But you were about to tell me to, for God's sake, give it a rest and stop moaning. You go ahead if it makes you feel better. Anyway, we've established that um, about half an hour's time they'll be at Bleak House, as Victor describes it. Clearly, they relish this opportunity of seeing their friends April and Vince as much as they would say ronnie and mildred we haven't met Ron ronnie and mildred yet i think they might have mentioned them already possibly 
Uh, I'd have to go back to listen to my own podcast to find out. That's uh, my memory for you. But they're certainly not looking... Well, Victor's not looking forward to it. Arms crossed, sarcastically referring their guest house as, as Bleak House. Can't think why on earth they want to go, other than the fact it is, I assume, a free holiday. We get a bit of a heads up from Victor that April seems to find Victor funny no matter what he says. Uh, he doesn't seem too pleased about. Whilst also implying that Vince is a little bit mad himself. He's usually found in his garden talking to his cucumbers. I think there are some uh, green-fingered people out there who do that. They do a bit of um, gardening. They're on their allotment. They seem to be at one with what they've you know been able to grow in their garden. And you know why not? It, uh, well, they might yeah, like I said, people might find that a bit strange. But I actually can uh, where Vince is concerned, I I get it. So Victor is giving us a bit of more of an insight with their friendship with April and Vince because he says that you know they thought they got rid of them when they moved down to the coast to open a boarding house. Do boarding house exist anymore? Are they? Is that that's just a B and B, isn't it? Um, I I've never I don't think I've heard of boarding houses per se. Boarding schools, yes, but boarding houses, no. It basically is a, a B and B. And it's just like a big family home, I think. You can just... I guess it's the modern version... Well, it's the old version of the now modern equivalent of Airbnb. Equips that, you know, we thought we got rid of them when they moved to the coast to open this uh, little hotel. But they've obviously kept in touch and want to maintain the friendship. I think that's... I mean, that's two sets of friends that Victor and Margaret don't particularly like spending their time with. All the friends we see in episode... One of series two, when they've moved house, they've got quite a diverse range of friends there, and we we see them also. I think it's the neighborhood watch in series one, when they're discussing the the the, the crime in the local area. But and they seem to be friends with them. But in in the opening of series two, when they when they're having a housewarming party, there's quite a lot of friends they seem to enjoy spending their time with in in the very few scenes we see them with them mrs warboys aside and the neighbors aside we don't see them converse with many people at all and i don't know if it's because victor pushes them away because he just cannot tolerate them or the people that they what your ronnie mildred's your vince and april's they are just irritating and they are to be honest with you i'd rather visit victor margaret's over april and vince's Ronnie Mildred's as well, so to be fair, I do side with Victor, but I'm just curious as to why <laughs> this is the second lot of friends we, we learn of them having, like apart from the, the housewarming guests, and they just don't like them. So much information coming from Victor's mouth in this, we, we, we're learning an awful lot about uh, what's to expect, and, and it transpires they've been to this um, little boarding house B&B lodge, uh, because he's hoping that they're not staying in the little pokey room in the in, in the loft as he puts it um and that previously they've had to check for essentially bed bugs and it doesn't sound like the cleanest of establishments to stay in so i guess to be fair that is the the thing that's putting them off most um although i think no actually maybe it's the the idea of spending their time with friends they don't really want to be with but it's salt in the wound saying in a place that's filthy i suppose she's just giving such a stern look i don't know what he's done to piss her off. Like I said, it could be the sex thing because it's very much on both of their minds in it, from what we've heard so far. There's been continuity throughout uh, series one and two. With with each episode, they do reference what's happened previously or something is obvious, something's obviously present that has happened in the in the recent episodes, such as when they were decorating the house in one episode, it's mentioned in the in the preceding uh, episode. So quite a long segment of discussing the opening carriage scene, which is essentially a five-minute scene. But we're now at the boarding house, 
where we have a close-up shot of guests eating their, their dinners. And the set looks very similar to Faulty Towers' dining room. In a roundabout way, April was a little bit Sybil Faulty-esque with, with her appearance and how she's addressing the residents. It's a very peculiar way of addressing guests at the table who seemingly would just place their order and, and it would be delivered, but she just announces that there's more stew in the oven if anyone likes some. So unless that's how a boarding house works where you kind of treat it as, as members of the family and you, you'll get what you're given, um, it seems like a bit of a strange setup. But she seems quite a um, quite a loving host hostess, if you like. She's very concerned at everyone's uh, enjoyment and experience. So, so far... First impressions of April, fine. Margaret enters the room and she is guided to the, the, the head table. Apparently they're eating with April and Vince tonight. Margaret almost sits on their cat, which is removed by Vince, who's played by Stephen Lewis, as you will recognise him from On the Buses and Last of the Summer Wine. Always speaks uh, like got a blocked nose. I don't, know, I don't know if the actor talks like that in real life. Passed away in August 2015. By the way, April was played by Georgina Hale. She's a BAFTA-winning actress, but apart from a few shows like Emma Dale and uh, I think short, I think The Bill, I don't really um, recognise much of the films and shows she's been in. But uh, yeah, as Vince takes the cat away, he says he's probably um, attracted to the fish stain on the chair. So straight away, we are, we are learning that this place isn't the most hygienic. It's funny though to hear. I mean, you wouldn't. You're not going to laugh if you're Margaret, but it's funny to have him sort of say that out loud without any kind of shame, if you like. You just simply wouldn't say it, would you? April's fast becoming irritating already, actually. So she, like I said, she does start off on a good footing where she seems quite welcoming, but her voice is annoying straight away. She holds a note uh, at the end of each sentence for an unnecessary amount of time. She's clearly putting on some kind of accent of superiority and mentions that uh, they, they last saw uh, Victor Margaret when, well, before Victor retired. So it's it's been, a, I don't know, in their universe, a, a year or so, at least. Oh, I love him to bits, your Victor, don't you? I only have to look at him and he makes me laugh. It's the way he keeps coming out with things. Yeah. I think April speaks on behalf of all of us fans of One from the Grave when she says, I've only got to look at Victor and I laugh, just the way he comes out with things, and that's true. But obviously in the the One from the Grave universe, it's it's probably not so true. Margaret can't, can't quite understand where she's coming from on this one. In comes old Victor, face like a smacked what's-it. Uh, he's ushered to the captain's table, as April calls it, and asks if everything's okay, and he says... Generally speaking, no. I've just been into the bathroom in the top landing and discovered a dead seagull in the lavatory. <laughs> you see what I mean? It doesn't matter what he says. He's got that dry wet. I'm not joking. It's in there. I lifted up the seat and there it was staring at me. Appalling conditions in the boarding house with the dead animal and, and old rotting fish stains. The cat in the dining room. It's not, it's not looking good too far from our perspective. But April finds it hilarious, you know, she can't qu quite take it seriously. And he, he snaps back at saying, you know, I'm serious. Yeah, April finds it hilarious. And I think it's just his delivery. Like, as Vic Victor Meldrew as a character, she finds hilarious. It's just his dry wit, as she says. Although Victor's not afraid to speak his mind, he, he usually holds back for those uh, nearest and dearest to him, whether he likes their company or not. He, he never snaps at, you know, saying Mr. Sweeney, Patrick and Pippa... He 
keeps it together mostly. Mrs. Warboys he gives a hard time. Generally, those who are in his in his life either regularly or have a close connection with him, he doesn't give him any crap. Um, but he doesn't hold back here with April. He's he is in a bad mood, and it not and obviously the fact he's as a dead seagull, a dead seagull in the toilet. I'm just contemplating how I'd feel about that. The seagulls aren't small, but yeah, he's he's probably pissed off with the fact that Margaret's got the ump with him as well, so it's, it's just not an enjoyable holiday so far. Very much reminds me of Faulty Towers in the Basil the Rat, where the inspector finds two uh, dead pigeons in the water tank. In this case, this is a bird in a water closet of sorts. Possibly Faulty Towers inspired, or just a pure coincidence. Old Vince, uh, Almost lets out a sneeze and and just says it must be the cat. I must. I think I'm allergic. And Victor looks in, looks on in horror at the food on his on his uh, fork. But I mentioned earlier that uh, Stephen Lewis, the actor, does sound like he plays all these characters with colds. I don't. It's just a again another coincidence, or, or it's just how he sounds. Next scene: Victor and Margaret in their poky little attic room. Victor, as mentioned earlier, about uh, saying of checking the mattress is not filthy because they've had previous bad experiences with bed bugs he is making sure it's you know turned because and he quips that you know when was the last time this mattress was you know turned and when he finds this record underneath the mattress it where it indicates how long since they turned the mattress because he says look at this frank ifield she taught me to yodel a uh, bit of internetting and that's a, a lp released by yeah, Frankie Ifield in 1962. So at least, well, it's a strange one because that's from from 1990. That's 28 years since that that record was released. Um, but we know that we know Vince and April haven't been there for 28 years because they moved in more recent times in Victor Margaret's life. Nevertheless, it's just highlighting the fact that Vince and April uh, today wouldn't get the the best TripAdvisor rating. What's that? What? I saw something just scuttle across the top of that tall boy there. <laughs> the next time I come here, I'm going to pack my elephant gun. <laughs> now, interestingly enough, as, as Victor's getting paranoid, thinking he can see bedbugs and what else scuttling across the room, and he's trying to spray them with whatever he's got in his hand, this actually makes Margaret chuckle. And Victor sort of goes to comfort her and, and mentions, how are you feeling? That brandy seems to have done you some good. So she's obviously a little bit tipsy and she's in good spirits. Lightening up a little bit at last, because so far this episode, she hasn't been the happiest. But nor has Victor, to be fair. But, you know, the reason why she's getting quite smoochy and she's trying to cuddle Victor is because she clearly wants a bit of action. And Victor just doesn't read the signs because, you know, she, she is asking what side of the bed would you like to sleep on tonight? And he's about to give his answer and perhaps maybe about to read between the lines. And he is distracted by the fact he hasn't quite cleaned his teeth yet. So as, as Victor struggles to get past uh, Margaret in their dingy little room, she knocks over a glass. Uh, the bottom of the glass comes completely off, which will set us up for a very uh, comedic purpose later on in the episode. Rather sneakily, in the next room is April. And we see her without, uh, well, we see her with a completely different haircut. And the reason for that is, she, uh, well, she's got a syrup on a mannequin's head. Cosmopolitan, is that the word? And she's earwigging on what Victor and Margaret are talking about. Their room's much more area, spacious, a bit more decorative, even if it is dated. She gets a knock at the door, so she rushes to put her wig on. And when she opens it, it's Vince. And she's got a look on her face as if to, as if to 
be disappointed and and also clutching her heart as if to say she, I nearly got caught out then. So I don't know who she was expecting to walk in other than Victor himself. It just seems a bit strange that she wouldn't expect anyone else. Vince uh, letting out a, uh, a comedy sneeze again. And he just asked for some antihistamines because he's still suffering from a bit of a fever from the, the, the cat. After April saying she's put some rat poison down, which seems quite extreme. Uh, she asked him to help move the, the wardrobe back uh, in front of the, I assume, little hole in the wall that she's got. I don't know if there's a spy hole there or whether it's like a partition wall. But yeah, she's gone to some effort to uh, earwig on Victor and Margaret. Meanwhile, Victor, after leaving Margaret to brush his teeth, uh, walks in on two um, lovely, lovely younger ladies, Mediterranean-looking women, uh, who have a bit of a shock when he's when he's uh, waltzed in there. Sorry, I didn't realise. No, 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 it's all right. We finished now. Uh, Mediterranean, it's not here. Uh, Dorking. Yeah, Dorking, we cannot find the Dorking. Dorking! Dorking, Dorky, there's not a Dorking. No, Dorking! Oh. I wonder if that is one of the downsides to a boarding house. We know they haven't got their ensuite bathrooms, so I guess it's a, a shared arrangement. And this is where Victor lets out a bit of charm. He's, he's ever so apologetic, and the, the ladies are quite embarrassed, but they quite giggly with it when the scene pans back to um, a now pissed off looking margaret once again sort of brushing her hair she can hear voices out on the landing and it's victor and some giggly ladies margaret is looking at her watch as victor opens the door to imply that he's been quite some time um victor right in front of margaret says good night petra good night marie good Um, not again. He's he's not the best at reading these situations very well, especially in front of a his wife, where he he must know that she can get a little bit insecure herself, as, as already seen in series one when he was um, drawing nude artists and being drawn himself. But Victor's managed to get these two ladies or birds, as I say. He's got, he's got he's got their names. He's obviously struck up conversation in the bathroom. You want to sort of go do a sort of way hey victor on this one but not the cleverest move in a tiny little bathroom um a few feet away from your wife waiting for you in the in the bedroom where she's previously been up for a bit of nookie we assume but he is boy is he in for it now they are romanian as confirmed by victor and uh victor just said they had a, a nice chat um yeah he just he seems quite pleased with himself so victor clarifies that you know they're, they're romanian seem very nice speak quite good english Margaret, arms folded, um, utterly annoyed by now, surely. I think we all would be if we're in her position. And she says, oh, yeah, what were you talking about? Whatever it was, making you foam in the mouth. Uh, Victor's got a uh, chunk of toothpaste on the side of his uh, gob, which doesn't bode well for him at all. Uh, you know, it's toothpaste, obviously, but it just uh, doesn't help his cause. That he, He's clearly distracted by two attractive young younger ladies in the bathroom. Obviously got me a little bit flustered. But no, Victor, he doesn't he doesn't read situations very well. So perfectly innocent encounter. I mean, I think if he had anything to hide, he would have played it down. He wouldn't be addressing them by name just as he walking into the into the room. So as as uh, dodge as it as dodge as it looks, I don't I don't think he's got anything to uh, to worry about. But at the same time, it doesn't look good from Margaret's perspective. But anyway, when uh, Margaret's abruptly asked what they're talking about she suggests sarcastically 
was it about, was it about the usual dimensions? So it's very much on her mind right now, the the whole sex thing. And she sarcastically quips that they forgot to pack the steel ruler again. And Victor says, what steel ruler? The one that's gone rusty from lack of use. <laughs> it could be more obvious at this point, but poor old Victor has gone straight over his head. And the lights have turned out and she's obviously gone to sleep on bad terms with poor old Victor. Getting quite a nice image of the outside of the hotel. Looks quite a nice seaside resort. Next morning, it's just Victor in bed and April comes in with a breakfast on a tray, which is quite nice of her, really. But I think she's loving it because she must know that Margaret isn't happy with Victor, judging by the fact she's left uh, without him. Uh, we don't know where she's gone at this stage. April, clearly, who has a a thing for Victor, like I said, is completely loving it at this stage. But it is established as we go through this episode that Margaret is doing some sightseeing and doing a little bit of shopping. April asks Victor, you know, how did you sleep whilst touching his knee? Not not in a sensual manner. She grabs it with her thumb and index finger. Very peculiar move, but making Victor quite uncomfortable at this stage. Just sat on the bed. Yeah, being a little bit up close and personal. April says to Victor, Vince wants to see you later in the garden. A little secret. He's not letting on what it is. It's a little bit cryptic. Proceeds to leave the room. Seeing straight away to Vince in his garden. And he is, in fact, talking to his homegrown vegetables. And like I said, yeah, he is, in fact, talking to a cucumber patch. So Victor is taken to Vince's workshop and says to Victor, I've got a little retirement retirement present for you. I just want to make a little observation on what Victor's wearing. He's wearing something quite trendy. The first time I've seen him out of a, a long sleeve shirt. Uh, he's wearing a short sleeve polo neck, mostly dark in colour with white stripes on his shoulders, got a little top pocket, slightly like multicoloured lines for decoration and it looks he looks quite smart. This looks like something Delvoy would wear actually. And he's the first time he's looking quite youthful. Thought it'd be worth pointing that out at this stage. Maybe it's the confidence of the two and when I call the Mediterranean girls, the two Romanian girls, I don't know. But he obviously packed it for a, a good reason. But I think it suits him. Now, what Vince shows Victor, I think it might split audiences. He's made a gravestone for Victor, which is an odd and peculiar gift, let's be honest. Especially to someone who isn't old. Like He's not even 60 yet. Not only is it a gravestone, he's actually carved his name on it Victor Meldrew Old Vic and it says 1928 to with obviously a blank space 1928 sharing the, the birthday of my grandparents which I think just for some reason is special because they love this show um I think they could resonate with a lot of Victor and Margaret and uh, the fact that they're born in the same year as these fictional characters I found it interesting anyway I, I don't think interesting is the word but amusing but yeah I think it's uh I mean, gravestones aren't cheap. I couldn't tell you how much they are, but I know they're they're not going to exactly be um, a bargain. So in many ways, it was it would say Victor and Margaret um, a few coins further down the line, or their next of kin. I just think it's an it's definitely an, an inappropriate thing to make. Uh, but if if he has carved it himself, that's a fantastic bit of stone masonry. But if he's just brought it and then carved his name on it or got someone to do it. That's even worse, in my opinion. If he's actually made it, it's it's still a bit sinister, but I just don't think it's it's very nice. We get an up close shot of the gravestone. It's quite a plain looking gravestone. It's it says on. He's got a little bit of an obituary on it. it. Says a dear old friend sadly missed. His soul liveth on in paradise. What helps this scene along nicely as Victor's looking on in absolute bewilderment. <laughs> Vince says, "You haven't got one already, have you?" 
utterly delusional. You know, he, he, he expects him to be absolutely overjoyed with this gift. But Victor does put on a brave face. I guess, visually speaking, it, it works well with the title of this comedy, One Foot in the Grave, and this is the first time we see a grave. Six weeks it took me to do that. <laughs> I'm quite pleased with this scroll work round the top here. Yeah. Very tricky, that. One slip with a chisel, you bollocked up the whole slab. <laughs> he comes out with a quite a funny line, one slip of the chisel, and you... Bo- <laughs> And he bollocks up the whole slab. It's delivered very, very nicely, actually, by Stephen Lewis there. I don't think Stephen Lewis has ever used the word bollocks in any of his shows. Now, this could be that Victor is too bewildered for words, but he, he doesn't hold back the way he, with how he talks to April. But with Vince, he's, he doesn't have a lot to say to him. And I don't know if that's... I don't know if that's um, an of-its-time sexism thing where Victor is showing a little bit more upfront respect for... Vince, because a lot of people say, "How you know? How dare you uh, insult me with this apparent gift?" Uh, I don't care if it's stonemasonry work that's taken you six weeks. Um, you, you know, you're insulting me. You're being a, a, a knob. Um, but um, he is still relatively polite uh, with Vince, and I think it, it does show Victor's good nature. But just by contrast of how he speaks to April, it's quite interesting. She is nothing but genuinely nice with him, although irritating in, in sound. Here is Vince almost digging his grave for him. In fact, insinuating he's got one foot in the grave. Their scene ends there, and Margaret is now back at the house, sat on the bed. She instantly leaves her room and meets Victor on the stairs. He's looks like he's quite hot. He's coming in to cool down. There's a bit of passive aggressiveness from both of them. Uh, Victor's asking where she's been. She's not giving him any eye contact at this stage. When she asks Victor what he's been up to, he just um, delivers a, a wonderful sarcastic line of being force-fed, Weetabix puree and sentenced to death. Victor is now on the bed pouring himself a fizzy drink, I think it might be a beer, seemingly just wanting to have a bit of respite from the madness of his encounter with Vince. It's obviously a baking hot summer's day and he goes to lie back on the bed. He's got the glass of beer in his hand and this is the glass, if you remember, we saw dropped accidentally by... Margaret, when Victor accidentally shoved past her when he was going to the bathroom, which the bottom of the glass have come off. And we'd very briefly seen Margaret put something away in the top drawer. And we come to learn what that is in a moment. So Victor lies back and puts the glass beer on top of his head. We've, I mean, I've done that before. Um, get the nearest, coolest thing beside your bed. Place it on the top of your forehead. Sit back. It's a quick fix to feel a little bit cooler margaret comes in and instantly uh clocks well it's not hard to miss but clocks the fact he's he's got a beer resting on his forehead victor <sighs> what are you doing take that off your head i'm boiling margaret i have just put super glue on that glass <laughs> what? i've just stuck the bottom in where it had come out oh my god don't And she is horrified because we know, well, she she knows even, that the bottom of that glass is super glue. If I broke a standard drinking glass, um, I don't feel like I would super glue it back together. I think I would just hand it in to the owners and say, sorry about this, I broke this glass. But it works really well for a bit of slapstick humour because now this glass of beer, full beer, is completely stuck to Victor's forehead. 
So this is obviously what Margaret had, but one of the things she probably brought down the shops that she packed away in the top drawer earlier in the scene. That was the moment we saw off camera, which, you know, if we'd seen a super glow it, the joke wouldn't have worked, but it's such a marvellous piece of writing and putting Victor in yet another ridiculous situation. Brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. One of Victor's many catchphrases, absolutely brilliant. Oh, as he's led down, uh, realising that he's now got this half pint of lager stuck on his forehead. So funny visually, though. Uh, he's so he's so annoyed. He's just come from the garden having, having a, a death sentence put upon him to now this unfortunate uh, mix-up. have to say, though, Richard Wilson does a sterling job keeping the glass steady. It doesn't look like a fake glass. I don't think they'd had that kind of prop in 1990. Margaret stops him from getting up and says, you know, you can't move there. And Victor comes out with a great line. Well, I can't lie like this forever, can I? Like a bedridden Dalek. So that just occurred to me that Victor and Margaret are sleeping on different sides compared to what they would do back at home. And I wonder if that just adds to the dynamic of how they're feeling about things that right now you have whatever side you have it's not you don't think hard about it but i just wonder if that was intentional by renwick because we get we're still us the viewer still getting the same view of victor, of victor and margaret led in bed as as if we were at uh, riverbank it's later on in the evening uh, victor's just returned from the bathroom holding glass on his forehead uh clearly a and e didn't have the capacity uh to um help him understand me got the hump now the the mood has changed margaret is quite wary of victor's negativity and his uh pissed offness if that's a phrase and it's now she that is on tender hooks so the mood is completely flipped the next day vince is showing margaret the headstone and i think this might be the turning point of the episode where margaret's given a, a little wake-up call to the fact that she loves Victor. It's her husband. They've been together for many years. And here is a man who she doesn't particularly probably like anymore or hasn't got a great deal of respect, showing her the future. The future being Victor not being in, in her life. Uh, and I think that probably hits home. Vince doesn't help his cause by pointing out the obvious that he hasn't been able to put in the second date. He's put 1928 to blank. And he's sort of saying it with a, a grin on his face and casually saying, just give me a shout when, you know, when to put the next date in and like that that is going to rile up anyone and i think he's a total ass for that let alone making the the gravestone bit of a sinister mix-up here because as she's looking on at the gravestone vince walks back to his cucumbers um and he's saying you know it won't be long now referring to the, the fact that the vegetables are getting bigger it won't be long till you can sprout up and i can eat you basically um and margaret doesn't really connect the dots and thinks he's talking about Victor is um, impending death. And he doesn't explain himself. She just looks on at him and, and says, sorry. And he just gormously stares back. And the scene ends there. You know, we are planted the seed, if you excuse the pun, in, in the early, in the first scene that he talks to his vegetables. So why Margaret forgot at the moment? Probably due to the fact that she's dealt with this bizarre thing of her husband's gravestone being presented to her. Presumably later in the day, there's a couple of guests leaving the house. Uh, April is, as a hostess, she seems quite um, homely. She's given their, one of the guests some ointment for some treatment on their, for their wrists and ankles. So that's, that's kind of going above and beyond, if you like. To be fair, it's probably the least they can do if they've, if they've got bed bugs in all of the rooms. So it kind of t links up quite well with why she was given 
that treatment. Vince comes back into the house with Margaret and she's questioning, they're both they're speculating how long he'll be because he's at the hospital now. Um, he was taken down by Vince and Vince says uh, he was asked by Victor just to leave him there. Margaret's quite pleased that there's a knock at the door because she anticipates it to be Victor. And she's obviously pleased because I think, like I said, there was a turning point for her where she is starting to snap out of her uh, annoyance at Victor. She's feeling sorry for him that he's had to go into the hospital. Well, that's short-lived because Victor comes back with the two pretty Romanian ladies. Um, they all seem very much in high spirits. Victor casually sort of says, you know, he's walking on the uh, the seafront on the way back from the hospital and, and met Petra and Marie. Just, just casually, um, no sort of treading on eggshells. Probably because he hasn't got anything to hide, but been there before with Margaret. He knows she's going to get a little bit uh, tetchy on that one. Margaret spots something on the side of his neck and she is I think, insinuating it's a love bite. What's that on your neck? What? That on the side of your neck. Where? Oh, yeah. Do you know where I got that? In the bathroom last night. I thought I felt one of them bite me then. <laughs> of course, Margaret storms off upstairs because in this timeline, he was in the bathroom with these two ladies, so she's getting the complete wrong end of the stick. Victor heads on up the stairs to um, presumably... Uh, speak to Margaret about the misunderstanding and he is greeted once again by Petra and Marie who are outside of the bathroom. And they're trying to get um they're trying to communicate with him on, on a potential problem. And they seem a little bit they're they're a bit unsure about why they can't go into the bathroom and they're trying to get it across to Victor. An unfortunate misunderstanding because they get the word midges out. Victor presumably thinks they mean midges as in the irritating flying the british mosquito if you like he goes in there with his uh, anti-bite spray that he's purchased in town as he's referenced that to margaret before and he storms in there with the spray ready to attack what he seems to be a swarm of flies there we go Unfortunately, we're getting into political correctness or lack of territory because they were trying to think of the term small men uh, in the bathroom and it, they obviously meant midgets. And there's three men, short men, in there, all sharing a bathroom, which seems quite peculiar, but needs must annoy if there's only one bathroom on this floor. Victor's gone in there, I would say all guns blazing, but all sprays blazing, spraying these poor blokes um, in the face, followed by some poorly choreographed beating up a poor Victor. His gesture of goodwill of trying to get rid of what he thinks was midges lands him a beating. The two remaining girls casually say that they, they think that the that these men, the midgets as they called them, and it's just a trans 
translation problem, I know. They think he is on stage with Bernie Clifton, the uh, British comedian and entertainer, known for his work with ostrich puppet costume, Oswald the Ostrich. How they would know that, I don't know, considering they can barely speak the lingo. It's very unlikely these young ladies, probably in their early 20s, would know who Bernie Clifton is if they're new to the country. A reference to Bernie Clifton's stage work and insinuating these short men dwarfs i think it's the term i think to use in this in this context uh would probably be seen on stage with the bernie clifton act anyway victor comes out battered and bruised and they offer such a sympathy and they they take him under their wing and seemingly look after him i think probably um, every single man's dream getting ushered into a bedroom by two good-looking women paying nothing but sympathy and attention to you and that's what victor's about to get as victor leaves their room they say uh, to him well, i hope your private parts uh, uh, get better <laughs> wrong place wrong time again because margaret's on the landing at the other side of the landing and she's just heard that remark there was a turning point for margaret earlier but it's it's turned back again it's fair to say to being pissed off with victor finally victor and margaret are having it out with each other it's something that needs to happen because she's locked him out of the room margaret's having a little breakdown i think she's she's accusing him of wanting to be macho to prove his manhood because of his his insecurity earlier in the episode about you know dimensions and whatnot and the the lady being in reading the joyous sex but margaret is completely irrational about this and i can understand her point of view because from her perspective it just looks so dodgy but she is feeling quite vulnerable and insecure and victor's just totally perplexed by this because as we know victor is so innocent and he doesn't mean to do what he does uh, especially with these women it just happens to be two attractive young females and that is just gonna add salt into the wound for margaret well victor's had enough now he he um leaves the hotel because he, he can't really get through to margaret and he goes off and takes a stroll outside see a bit of a, a montage of his um walk along the promenade saw the beach huts it's quite an empty uh seaside it's probably late on into the day um it's quite sad really he's He's just um, a bit lonely and pondering his thoughts and wondering, probably taking in the, the bad atmosphere uh, directed his way. Now, interestingly enough, something I forgot when I rewatched this is he's it's that classic thing when, when there's... It happens in films and, in pro, and TV shows when there's a man or a woman that's fallen out with their loved one or something's gone wrong for them, that individual, and they go for a walk and they're you know, they're trying to get, gather their thoughts and they see all sorts of things around them that reminds them of what they could be having. And in, in, in Victor's case, he sees a couple in their 70s, 80s sat on the bench overlooking the sea. And it's the lady from, I assume, from the carriage with the joyous sex. And she is proper smitten with this gentleman. And I think that probably concludes to Victor that sex at that age is perfectly reasonable. He then walks past a much, much younger couple, very... This has got such an unrealistic idea of what young couples would do when walking on a beach. It's this absolute clown dress. The way I mean, he's dressed for its time uh, time period, but they're like snogging as they're walking side to side, and it just looks the most unnatural position to take. It does enough for the character of Victor to take in his surroundings and, and what he's missing out on in terms of love and lust. A part of the seaside does look really, really nice. Um, it's got a huge pin. I don't know if it's Bournemouth or Pool. I don't think Pool has a um, has a pin, so it might be Bournemouth, but 
listeners uh, listening to this episode, if you could let me know, because I I try and do a bit of digging, I can't I can't find out the answer. Victor walks into a local pub, uh, presuming to get sozzled, and that ends that montage scene there. We're back at the same evening, and Margaret is on the on the bed on top of the covers. Um, April sort of lets herself in, and I think she gives a bit of comfort to Margaret for the first time in this episode. She's not giving all the love to um, to Victor just for once, but to be fair, he's not even in this scene. But she is remaining uh, fairly consistent with her seemingly good nature. Margaret, it's just gone ten. Now stop worrying about him. I mean, it was just one of those things. You didn't know he was going to be beaten up by midgets. <laughs> Although I think she's probably pleased that they're having a Barney because she has clearly got the hots for Victor. So it perhaps doesn't come from a good place. April invites Margaret to sleep in their much comfier bed whilst April offers to sleep in their bed. As Margaret leaves the, the room, she, April says, you know, I, I, I expect to be home uh, in the morning. You can give him a ring then. And then give him a ring. She can just knock on the door, surely. I didn't quite understand that myself, but there you go. Late at night, there's a uh, the doorbell rings, um, and April answers it, and it's the police. Police at the door. Um, there's two police at the door actually. One is carrying a sozzled Victor, completely paralytic, not even paralytic. He's practically unconscious, and they said he found him in a public lav- lavatory making seagull noises. Nice little re- reference to comments earlier in the episode. Vince and April. Uh, Vince has walked in on this scene, and they've she he's helping. April bring a drunk Victor up the stairs and they put him in to their bed. Uh, Margaret is already asleep and then they leave the room. Uh, quite a nice um, moment, really. Uh, Margaret cuddles up into Victor and he puts his arm around her. So it's quite a, another turning point for the positive. The next morning, Victor gets up out of bed. Obviously completely hungover, can't quite grasp the situation at this moment in time. He, I don't think, he's obviously not aware, unlike Margaret, that he's in uh, a different bed. This set doesn't half remind me of Hotty Towers. Victor's on the landing, just utterly perplexed and quite can't quite grasp where he is. But Penny suddenly drops that he's been sleeping in the wrong room. And instantly the confusion uh, will hit him. Well, not for long. He's not confused. He thinks he has been sleeping with April at this point. He peeks his head back around the door and he can see the back of Margaret. Of course, he doesn't know that's Margaret. Even though they smooched last night, he is too drunk to remember. And he is horrified. Meanwhile, we see Vince and April changing the uh, bedsheets and Vince is looking for his fishing trousers. He wants to go back into Margaret and Victor's room, well, their room, essentially, to, to retrieve them. Much to April's dismay at such a thing. But it, it appears at this, at this stage he's done a good deed by lending their bed but we will learn a little bit more uh, as the episode progresses that there's a bit more to it than meets the eye but i think it's just the way she's a little bit dismissive of victor's actions uh, with margaret because you know she clearly does like victor she pops april this is pops her head into the bathroom to see victor and says you up my love <laughs> much nicer in my bed wasn't it <laughs> i won't tell margaret about last night, be our little secret. <laughs> you know, ask if he's okay and sort of in a central type way says, much nicer in my bed, wasn't it? Again, it's up to you, the viewer, if you think she is sort of saying, you know, playing with his head. And she knows full well that he didn't know 
you know where he even was last night. So she's is she playing on Victor's emotions, saying you know you basically slept with me and it was you know much nicer in my room, or was she just innocent, innocently pointing out that their bed is much comfier? And she proceeds to say, "I won't tell Margaret about last night," obviously meaning his drunken activities, but she must know that Margaret knows he was out um, having a bevy. So in Victor's mind, he thinks she's saying. I won't tell tell Margaret about the fact we slept together last night. Perhaps she she was just generally referring to the police. Um, but again, it's just a funny one. It's I think Margaret will will conclude her thoughts on it later. But for now, poor old Victor thinks he's made a terrible mistake um, due to his drunkenness, and she knows <laughs> she knows full well what she's doing. I imagine. Meanwhile, Margaret wakes up <laughs> to the sight of Vince put, putting on his trousers, bending over, put his shoes on. It's just not the sight to see in the morning. And she, much like Victor, is experiencing a misunderstanding. She, at this point, thinks she's been sleeping with um, someone else, i.e. Vince. However, she wasn't drunk like Victor. She had a migraine in the, the night previous, so she must know that Victor was in her bed. So I, at this point in the, the episode, which we're near the end now, she wouldn't surely be thinking, oh, they've, they've manipulated this, so they've made me sleep with Vince, so... You know, she can get her hands on Victor. Just to add to the conf- <laughs> the the misunderstanding and confusion, Margaret's about to leave with a suitcase and spots Victor at the bottom of the at the well at the end of the hallway. And she thought he he'd he'd gone home. It wasn't made that clear by Victor that he was going to go home, but she seemed to think he he was, and he said he he changed his mind. And here's where it's going to make Margaret completely feel guilty and needlessly guilty. He said he slept on the sofa. He's lying to her to protect their marriage because he he finally realizes that he she is simply not going to understand the mishap or the misunderstanding therefore margaret's situation of sharing a bed with vince is going to be in her mind confirmed that she has slept with vince unintentionally whereas before i thought well she had a, she had a headache a migraine she's surely conscious of who she was sleeping with in the night i just think that might have been a little bit of a plot hole but unless she was that out of it maybe she was given some really strong painkillers and it was in the dark. Oh, I guess it's not completely unrealistic to, if you go to bed with a migraine, to go to bed with a strange, well, not a strange, but not your husband or wife. But it it does make this an interesting dynamic now because they're both hiding something from one another. Both know that they didn't mean to. It wasn't intended. Just a one massive cock up as, as far as they're concerned. Needless seeds of doubt in each other's minds and of the fact that they are guilty of infidelity. Anyway, in the hallway, Victor says, before they go, he's just got one last job to take care of. Victor goes out of his way to get a tray of uh, breakfast things and goes to uh, April's room, puts on a false act, a passive-aggressive, smiley presence uh, he's displaying here, pours the whole breakfast trays on the clean bedding that April's just laid out, and then goes and sets fire to her wig that's on the mannequin's head. And finally sticks up for himself and says, The next time you take advantage of my body, it'll be under that gravestone. <laughs> April, in absolute disbelief at her wig's been set, set on fire, and she's horrified at Victor's outburst as he exits the room. In the final scene now, Margaret and Victor are back in a, in a taxi now, presumably going to the train station, unless they're cabin all the way home. And they are both sat there with quite a solemn look, one of betrayal, and they are... Uh, probably thinking that's the one of the worst holidays they'll ever have. Margaret asked Victor if, if he said goodbye to April. It's strange it's the first time she didn't laugh out, out loud at anything he said. 
And he obviously says that with that tone of, you know, I've stood up to her and been an absolute cow. So, yeah, she certainly wasn't laughing. Margaret asked the taxi driver to suddenly stop the car. It's not quite clear why she, why she wants the car stopped. But Victor's a little uh, confused. They park next to the pier and there's some fishermen on the on the end of this pier and she approaches Vince. She smarches up to Vince. He's right on the end of the pier. He's doing a bit of fishing. Good morning, Margaret. Morning, Vince. Uh. <laughs> Sorry about that. A very bold move by Margaret. You know, she thinks she's been taken advantage of. Fair enough. But he could have died. He could have died, to be fair. That's a massive old drop. Piers do stretch out quite some some distance into the sea. So for all she knows, she could have, um, well, cold-heartedly murdered him. With witnesses, I might add. But yeah, she is getting, in her mind, her own back. And I think that is probably partly to do with the fact that he made that gravestone. But obviously she thinks she's been... Uh, drugged to sleep with this uh, man who she doesn't particularly like so you can understand her emotions behind wanting to push him off the edge of her pier either way she returns to the taxi and she seems cleansed of her angst and in a much better place and would you add him an Eve? victor says to margaret i thought perhaps uh, we might have an early night tonight <laughs> puts his arm round margaret's shoulder imply that they're probably going to get it on fair play to them i think they've learned a lot on that holiday and bizarrely that holiday of hell uh, seemingly hell anyway has brought them closer together and that ends the episode and this has been a long old review there's a lot has a lot has happened in this uh episode quite a lot of detail i think when it's to do with relationships there is more to talk about there's this dynamic evolved massively as the series progresses. I think it's quite dark that they both think they've cheated on one another, you know, with no intentions, of course. They they believe they've been practically raped, if you like. It's quite a dark thought that they've, they've been drugged or raped or taken advantage of. And they're obviously not going to tell the other person what's happened. And they, it, it's obviously best that they don't. But I don't know. I, I, I feel like some people would still have, have an element of guilt. They uh, It's obviously never brought up again. And I assume they'll never see them again. Bit of a crappy old holiday for... Um, both Victor and Margaret, but it's it's brought them closer together and it's it's rounded off quite nicely. Margaret's expression at the end is one of joy. She is it's like a weight's been lifted off her shoulders. If we compare her in in the carriage scene at the start, where she is utterly she's resentful of probably a lack of a sex life, and it's been very much the theme during their stay away. She thinks Victor is essentially playing away uh, with these two women, but I think deep down she she knows nothing has happened. It just I think it's the fact, and I've said this before, I think she gets annoyed at his lack of self-awareness. I don't think she thinks for a minute he's getting a bit of um, fun and play with a couple of Romanian birds. But I think it's just the fact that he's not paying her any attention and he's seemingly quite jolly and a little bit dopey around these these pretty women. I, th- I think dopey's not the word, but you know, hopefully you know what I mean. He's, I don't want to say more himself because he's not essentially himself around margaret in in that situation but she might think well that side of victor looks quite nice but he's not paying me that attention but yeah he makes it um right at the end and i like to think they're gonna and i'm not thinking of this graphically but i like to think they are well and truly going to make it up that when they get home wow that is a, a long old episode thank you patient listeners I, I don't know what's happened to the last few episodes they've been uh longer than usual but 
I think as I'm learning more and more as I go along as a podcaster, doing this on my own, uh, dissecting these shows, it's, it's become more and more fascinating. It's, it's just reading between the lines, almost like a psychology assessment of these two characters. It's uh, it's interesting. Well, that's like I said, that signals the end of the episode. I think it's time now for a Meldrew moan. I'm going to make this one quick because as I record this, it's late late on a Friday night and I want to recapture some of my evening um, back and I don't want you guys to uh, fall asleep on me. But all I'm going to say is carbohydrates. Um, I'm going to have a moan about carbohydrates. Um, I'm trying to, trying to uh, lose a f- few uh, pounds in weight, just trying to get some uh, order back in my, my life with regards to what I consume. And we're trying to reduce our carb intake. And we, you choose a, a, um, a food product to withdraw from your diet. So me and my fiance, we've reduced bread. We're not eating bread now, so we don't have toast. Um, we've been we've done that for about just over a week now. Which I'm quite proud of, but all the same, carbs seem to be everywhere. Well, seem to be in everything. Every little, even the the foods that aren't pasta or potatoes or noodles, carbs turn up in just about everything you 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 wouldn't imagine. They would, they would. Um, I, I can't give you an example right now because it's too late into the night, but it's just bloody, I don't know how people do it. It's frustrating because you end up, you if you're trying to reduce your carb intake, there's next to nothing you can have, as far as I can see. Well, you can have you can have stuff, but it's very much, doesn't do the job, and I just, it annoys me that there's people out there, fair place, and they can go carb-free, and they lose a lot of weight. We're just trying to reduce ours. It's annoying that it's in the likes of rice, Rice seems like it should be healthy, and it's not a bad food to have. But knowing that carbs, it just tastes so good, and it does it does you does you no good, especially if you're trying to lose weight like I am. And that's my Meldrew moon. It is it's unbelievable when you're planning a meal and you think, yeah, that's fine. That's got not many carbs. Oh, I have that. That's not many carbs. And you your partner says, well, yeah, that actually does have carbs in. What really? What that bit of uh, wheat? That's got yeah, of course it's got carbs. <sighs> How about this cracker? Can I have this cracker? No, that, that that's probably got some carbs in. It's just snacking, basically, apart from eating fruit, is non-existent. Um, it doesn't happen. you just got to have your three square meals a day. There, there we go. That's that's all I can moan about. I think it's more my lack of self-discipline and my lack of knowledge on what I could eat as alternative. I guess it's up to me to do a bit more research. Perhaps you guys can give me some pointers. Um, but during lockdown, I'm like many probably put on a bit too much weight just trying to sort it out yes these these military moans are becoming weaker i i appreciate but like i said i'm trying to keep it away from the coronavirus theme although i have mentioned lockdown but send me your moans anytime oh i do not believe <laughs> will you look at this bastards can you believe the nerve of this Please, if you're listening to this, would you mind taking a few minute, uh, a few moments to review um, on iTunes or any other uh, platform you use? You lose the download podcast. It, it just means that this little show can become more searchable. It will turn up more in searches for British comedies if people are trying to find something they want to listen to, and maybe they don't know they want to listen to One Foot in the Grave yet. 
they'll come across it with more more reviews that uh, go into the um, these platform sites. The algorithms will go in my favour. So yeah, do um, if you if you wouldn't mind taking a few moments to review, I'll be very grateful. As I mentioned at the start of the podcast, do check out at We Made This Pod for a list of other podcasts you can listen to. Depending on your choice, there's something for everyone. Really, really good selection. Thank you all for listening. Um, you can email me at onefootinthepodcast at gmail.com. My Twitter is at onefootinthepod. Um, thank you for your patience throughout this extra long special. Um, I didn't intend it to be this 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 long, but my passion for this show is such that um, I could talk about it for um, hours on end. And I don't know how the first series in the first series in a couple of episodes i kept it to a reasonable length but now it just seems to be almost double in length so i think that's a mixture of me knowing how to talk a bit more to myself or be more comfortable with such a thing and the fact that as one foot in the grave um goes along with each episode there's more and more to talk about anyway thank you guys girls chaps ladies um take good care and i shall be back next week for episode six last in the series timeless time a one scene episode one of two where which the other one being the trial which comes up much later in the series but timeless time episode six then that will be series two complete not including the christmas special that will precede that which is who's listening Uh, which will come in a few weeks' time. But yeah, stick around for next week. Thanks once again, and take good care. Cheers.